Having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage, and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we go. For us, we will say we're able to offer a different dining experience under one roof for different hours, different clientele, different desires. We're creating something that we feel is different, unique, and we're disrupting the restaurant industry in a good way. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Go big or go home. Remember those days? It seems to me that a lot of folks have changed their minds. Restaurants with small footprints and small menus are popping up everywhere. But not in wine country, and not with Dustin Vallette at the helm. Dustin is leveraging over 50 years of combined industry know-how to create an iconic restaurant that's as ambitious as its founders. Today we chat about Dustin's vision for the Matheson and the steps he's taking to ensure it's going to be a wild success. You know, a lot of my friends, when I graduated high school, they went out and they went to colleges and they were like, I don't, I don't know what I do yet. I want to do something though. And for me to be able to, I guess in this case, us, be able to say at a young age, this is what I want to do. This is my focus. is truly a blessing. And as I'm sure, probably like you, 20 years ago, I thought, oh, by the time I'm 40 years old, I'm going to do this. And, <laughs> you know, when, when this day happens, I'm going to do this for sure. And eh, you know, things change. But you have a goal. And think about anything in the world. If you go hiking, if you go race cars, if you're a chef, anything in the world, literally anything, if you know where you're going, if you have a goal, if you can throw a dart and follow that dart, that is how you become successful. And think about a boat, right? You got 20 guys over there paddling a boat. If you keep turning circles, you're not going to go anywhere. You're chasing your tail, metaphorically speaking. But if you're able to sit back and say, we're going to go here. Longitude 37, latitude 84.6, that's where you're going. You're going to have a direction. And I think a lot of people in our lives lack direction. They lack focus. We're very fortunate to be focused at a younger age. Was the same true for your brother? Because I know you guys are in it together. So slightly different. He always was front of the house. He always loved in the front of the house element of it. I always loved cooking. So he always wanted to be in the restaurant industry, same as I did. But he always enjoyed serving. He enjoyed getting out there, meeting people, talking to them, really being part of that front of the house experience of bringing joy to people and watching an instantaneous reaction. For me, I enjoyed creating. I enjoyed like our gardens. He buys his tomatoes, little four-inch tomato plants already done from the nursery. I'm old school. I love going out there, saving my seeds from last year, taking them, drying them, keeping all the ones separate from the upper plot, the lower plot. And then they'll go out there and saying, we're going to take this little baby seed, germinate this little baby seed. And it's going to grow into a little baby plant. And that plant's going to keep growing, growing, growing until it yields more tomatoes for next year. And you're going to save some of your best tomatoes from this year for next year. You create this cycle. So I think everyone's different, but I think we have a slightly different approach to it where he enjoys instantaneous gratification of seeing somebody happy at the table where I really enjoy the creation of creating that experience from a core essence. So let's fast forward. You go to the prestigious CIA, 
And then you work at, at a bunch of amazing restaurants before opening Valette in 2015 with your brother. Running a restaurant, I don't care what level you're at, is just completely different than owning and operating it. No matter how many times you do it with other people's money and other people's buildings, when it's your money, when it's your building, when it's your business, it's different. And I'm curious to know, what are the things that you know now that you wish you knew a month before that restaurant opened? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we're very fortunate that when Aaron and I opened our restaurant, Valette, in 2015, we had a lot of experience. By that time, oof. I already had 20 plus years cooking, 22 years cooking professionally. Aaron, by that time, already had about the same, about 20, I think about 19, 20 years cooking, or I'm sorry, in the restaurant industry. So we had a lot of experience. I think the biggest thing we learned was to really have a clear focus, to really sit back and say, every day when we walk into work, here's what we're going to work on. Here's our goal for this day. Here's our task orientation task-oriented approach to how to be successful. And I think a lot of that comes back down to how we were raised. But more importantly, it's you learn as you go. And once you sit back and you find out that if you have a singular task, and that task might be changing the menu today, the task might be working on a new tomato burrata salad, that task might be, hey, we need to improve our quality standards when someone walks in the door until they get greeted by the hostess. As long as you have a goal for the day, a goal for the week, a goal for the month, a goal for the year, that gives you a lot more clarity, a lot more focus, and you get everybody on the same page. You get to utilize everyone's strengths, weaknesses collectively and saying, this is what we're good at, this we're not good at, here's our goal we're going to focus on. What's it been like working alongside your brother? <laughs> That's amazing. I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm truly blessed to have a person, a partner that I can truly trust 100%. Someone you can say, you know, we grew up as kids and my nose looks kind of funky because of him. And to have a person that you may able to share so much with as a kid and to really be able to have that continue forward as business owners, I think is truly the best part. And I'm feeling very blessed to be able to have that in my life. Uh, Valette's been open for six years at this point. Six years. Yes. Yeah, really little is, kids. Uh, well, but dude, that's like a huge run. I mean, it's like dog years for an independent restaurant, right? We're talking about COVID, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's incredible to think. I mean, when you look at the failure rate, you guys should have been out of it two years in. And you do see restaurants with great world-class food and beverage programs go out of business every day. And so I'm wondering, food and beverage aside, would have been the key success for you guys as a brand and as a business? Well, first off, I appreciate motivational talk. That was fantastic. So <laughs> most restaurants are going to close. Listen to me now. You will fail. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, I think some of our keys to our success was being able to hire people who are passionate. If you sit back and look at our restaurant today, we're six and a half years old. We have the original servers. We have, we've hired one new server in six and a half years. Half our kitchen are the exact same guys six and a half years ago. And I think, again, one of those big keys to our success is really being able to sit back and say, let's all work on this together. Let's all come together for a common cause. Let's make everyone want to come back to the restaurant. Our goal isn't to make the best food. It's not to have the best service. Our goal is to have the best wines. Our goal is to make that person they walk out of there the happiest they can be. And we utilize tools. We have vehicles such as food, vehicles such as unique wines, vehicles such as great service standards. But these are all vehicles to make that person happy. And I think if you change your mindset of what you're looking for and what you're trying to achieve, instead you say, it's not to make the best dish. It's to make that person experience the best tomato that we can find with our culinary proudness 
to yield them a product that makes them the happiest they can be with that tomato is an inverse way of looking at it. It's the cart before the horse inversed. Now, you mentioned retention, which I think is obviously a really popular topic of conversation these days. I used to joke and I used to tell people I have 100 percent retention because even if an employee quits, they'll still be a patron. Right. (laughs) And I had like like a methodical way of doing it. We were always like a culture first company. We built a familial relationship. We invested heavily in our staff. What were your tools to create such a high level of retention? That's a really good question. I mean, I think a big part of our success is that longevity of people. And I think the way we do that is by multiple reasons, multiple ways. One, we spend a lot of our time to invest in the people, such as you mentioned earlier. We also make sure that we're continually teaching, educating our staff. We're talking about teaching our sous chef how to be an owner, teaching our line cooks how to be sous chefs, teaching our line cooks who are going to be going to school, have gone to school to really say, this is how a P&L works. This is how a food cost works. This is why we're going to this farm. Incorporating a lot of our employees back into our personal relationships with our farmers, with our growers, with our vintners, with our ranchers, and saying, hey, on Tuesday, we're going to take a field trip out to Bernier Farms. Who wants to go with us? And really keeping our guys excited and really making an environment where they want to come to work. And then once they're there, to kind of sit back and say, you know what, what can we do to improve the guest experience? What can we do to make that person who leaves tonight even happier? And I think everyone that works at Let has a desire to be in the hospitality business. They have a desire to be in the industry that makes people happy. And I feel very fortunate and very lucky that we're able to secure some absolutely amazing chefs and servers and mixologists and wine professionals who really enjoy making people happy. And when you find that person that says, I'm going to work on Friday night. I'm going to work on Saturday night. I'm going to go work on Sunday night. I'm going to take my weekend that all my friends are hanging out and going partying. I'm going to take my nights, my weekends, and I'm going to spend that in a business, at a job, and make people happy, bring them joy. You find those people, that's what you got to hold on to. You got to support those. And I think we're just the luckiest people in the world (laughs) to be able to find a group of individuals who are as passionate about hospitality as we are. I want to talk about the pandemic, but I want to talk about it from like a different angle, because I think that a lot of these pandemic conversations have just beat the same topics to death again and again and again. I want to talk about blind spots. One of the things, probably the biggest lesson that I learned from the pandemic was everything that I didn't know about my business, all of these hazards, all of these issues, they all came to light within two weeks of closing and really taking a hard look at the business. And so I'm curious to know, when the pandemic hit and as you've navigated your way through it, what blind spots were brought to light for you regarding not only your business, but yourself as a leader and an operator? You know, that's a really good question. I'm trying to think of blind spots we came up with. Blind spots is definitely a good approach to look at that. You know, I think maybe the blind spot maybe we came up with was how fragile our ecosystem is in the world of food production and the ecosystem we've built in the restaurant industry. Our restaurant industry lives off a 3 to 5% profit model. A lot of the vendors we work with, the paper good company, the glass company, the vendors we work with, the non-food production vendors we work with, really work off a 50% profit model. So for them, when they had a downtime, they were able to supplement their employees 100%. They were able to produce a product that was non-perishable. They were able to sit back and utilize their financial resources they have, where for us, we're fragile. We didn't have that opportunity. We were able to maintain about 85% of our staff by doing a to-go model and pivoting pretty quickly. But 
we didn't have that financial infrastructure that a lot of these other industries do. And the other thing we realized really quickly is just how tight we cut it in the food production world we have out here. You're having farmers that all of a sudden said, I can't sell my carrots and my farm might go under because I can't sell two months worth of carrots. And you think what that means is a big company, pick any big company we don't like, Walmart, right? They have so <laughs> much financial resources that if they have an off year, they lose $50 million, $500 million, $5 billion. They don't care. A farmer, if they lose $50,000, they're not sure how they're going to make their mortgage payments for their farm that they've invested or they own 80% of or 60% of, but they don't know how to make these small coverages of financial gaps. And I think the blind spot that we realized we had was just how fragile our ecosystem is in the world of the restaurant industry. And I think that we need to be very judicious and very cautious of that. And we need to take the opportunity now to build those structures stronger. We need to have a better outlet for farmers' food. We need farmers' uh, local food. We need to have a better outlet for what we do when our machine gets turned down. If, God forbid, there is an earthquake or there is a fire or there is a tornado, what happens to our business' ability to maintain our employment for our employees? What happens to our business' ability to protect what we spend so much time, energy, and financial capital to create? And how do we maintain that for the future? And I think that's something that we need to address and really pay attention to as we're climbing out of this pandemic. Did it change the way you look at the future in terms of like growth and expansion? You know, we thought we were going to have a lot more changes. We looked at the future and we thought that we were going to pull back, but I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> we're going full steam ahead into a big, brand new, scary restaurant. <laughs> you are. And I think this is a great bridge into it. So opening in July is the Matheson. We're in this like incredible new era where like these big restaurateurs are creating these small restaurants with these small menus. And I'm going to pull a headline for you. The Matheson boasts a farm-focused restaurant, sushi kitchen, dining loft, and rooftop cocktail lounge. It's gigantic. How many square feet is that? <laughs> hey, only 10,000. Okay, right? <laughs> so, so we've repurposed a nightclub into a fine dining mixed-use concept. The reason I bring it up is because you're so experienced in the industry. I'm sure that a lot of thought went into this. I'm sure that you spent the last 15 months thinking about this. And so I want you to walk me through the thought process because you're certainly going against trend. We really are breaking trend. And you start seeing a lot of your big restauranteurs creating these small little microcosms of restaurants. And for us, we're actually doing the same, but in a different kind of format. We're taking this trend and we're kind of flipping around a little bit. So the Matheson is a three-story restaurant. It has three different dining areas. It is 10,000 square feet, and we have 231 seats. When you tell it to a chef, they're going to be uh, <coughs> clinch up a little bit. <laughs> they're going to sit back and go, are you crazy, yeah. man? Yeah. Rightfully so. <laughs> right. But, but more importantly, the reason why that sounds daunting is if someone tells you 10,000 square feet, 231 seats, I think of Cheesecake Factory. I think of a big, huge catering hall, right? Big, huge box room, 231 seats all lined up. I think of steam tables and a big, massive kitchen. I think of the Awani Hotel up in Yosemite. Just big, massive, huge things. Well, that's not us. If you look at us, we're actually inverse to that. We have upstairs, Roof 106, which is our upstairs, the top floor, is based off one charboiler. So it's a plancha charboiler, a single fryer, and a big wood fire oven. And we're anticipating about 90% of all of our food coming out of that wood fire oven. So 
when someone tells you 10,000 square feet, gigantic restaurant, three stories, 231 seats, it sounds crazy. But you, st- you look it upstairs and you say, well, actually, we're doing one wood fire oven, one charboiler plancha, one fryer. That has about 90 seats up there. So a 90 seat restaurant is going to be based off three pieces of equipment. That sounds kind of funny, right? And then the first question is the chef would say is, well, where do you prepare all this food? The kitchen's tiny. We have three guys inside the kitchen and you're friendly. <laughs> you're Manhattan style inside that kitchen. So when we sit back and we look at how we're able to produce and how we're able to create this, it really becomes a very, very kind of unique thing that instead of trying to create a big 231 seat restaurant, instead what we're doing is we're actually instead creating three different mini restaurants under one roof. Those three different mini restaurants allow us to really say, what's the things missing from that restaurant upstairs? 90 seats, three piece equipment. We need prep space, right? You need to have space that really allows us to create those dishes, get those dishes prepared to a certain point. Well, what we're instead we're trying to do is say, you know what, let's utilize the main downstairs area, do all of our prep production during the day. And then at night, let's go ahead and actually produce our food or pick the food up upstairs. Well, this allows us to do a very unique kind of combination of having a very large 10,000 square foot restaurant. And at the same time, really allowing everyone to really focus on those three pieces of equipment. So five minutes later, there's a lot of gibberish, a lot of words basically come back down to, we're creating three restaurants under one roof. Those three restaurants are allowing us to create three different style dining experiences, allows us to utilize one main prep area that runs three different outlets, allows us to have one storage area for all of our backup napkins, all of our backup silverware, allows us to create three restaurants that utilizes scalability utilizes our ability to buy whole animals, whole pigs, whole sheep, whole quarters of animals. And instead of buying a small cut of New York for $30 a pound, instead, we're going to buy 40 ribeyes. Instead of paying the normal rate, we'll get a volume discount. Now, there's a little more coordination. (laughs) There's more risk. You have, you said earlier, the failure rate's kind of not overly low in the restaurant industry. So we have now three times the failure rate (laughs) in most restaurants. But it really allows us to cross-utilize different elements of production for food, cross-utilize different infrastructure elements when it comes to reservation systems. We're basically starting three restaurants at the same time under one large roof. The other thing we're able to do is we're really able to create different dining experiences. So Roof 106, our upstairs lounge, half indoor, half outdoor, really focused on a big wood fire oven. And it's more casual. It's more simple. Charred octopus with fingerling potatoes and saffron rui. Today, we're doing a duck wing confit. So local duck wings been cured and confit and crisped up. That's upstairs. Casual, simple, $10 to $20 price point for the dishes. Easy. Downstairs, 65-seat dining room, a little bit smaller. Really focused on the high touch. Did a partnership with Ken Tomonaga from Hana Sushi in uh, Pabu. Pabu in San Francisco and Hana in Runner Park and incorporating him back into our main menu of saying, let's do a partnership and let him express seafood, let him express the raw fish elements of the menu. So it's different where you're creating these microcosms, these little micro restaurants under one roof. They're all kind of held together by some crazy guy called Dustin. Do you own the building or are you leasing? I'm a partner in it. Yeah. So I own half the building. Oh, okay. Well, that's got to be helpful, right? Uh, financially daunting and very helpful. Yes, for sure. But I mean, it's a lot easier to work with your landlord when your landlord is you. 
<laughs> um, it's much harder to tell the landlord you're not going to pay him when the landlord is you. <laughs> the banks are not twice forgiving as a landlord, by the way. <laughs> landlord is incentivized to say, I don't want the restaurant to leave. No, 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 please stay. Where the bank is like, yeah, whatever, guys. Out. 30 days. Fair point. Fair that, point. That's the burden of reality. We'll hold those off for later. Do you worry about filling it? What do hours of operation look like? Are all of them running the same hours of operation? Is the goal of this ultimately to be able to monetize throughout more hours of the day, like the rooftops open late night, the other two concepts aren't? I'm just curious to know about your monetization strategy. Is the ambition paired with like an ambitious revenue model? Well, first off, if we're talking about the financial reality of the entity or the how we monetize it, man, we're the wrong industry, man. We're the restaurant business. <laughs> we're not, we don't do that. I'm not a banker. I'm a chef, man. We're supposed to be like blind ambition, walk down the road, like, all right, here's 500 pounds of weight. You got to carry it up five miles by yourself on your back. Like, okay, I'll do that. I'm a chef. Mazel tov. Let's go. But I think the way we're building this is yes, we're able to create one roof that houses three different models that allows us to have three different dining experiences that allows us to focus on what the clientele is looking for when they come into Healdsburg. Also remember, we're based in Healdsburg. Healdsburg is an up and coming area in the wine country. Healdsburg has been the top 10 destination small towns in the US for the past 10 years, I think it is. We continue to grow in a very unique exponential way. Montage, a very large luxury brand hotel, moved to Healdsburg. Mill District, a very large residential and also hotel project has come to town. We've had over $4 billion of investment here in the past seven years. And if you look at what that is creating here in Healdsburg, it's really showcasing the fact that we are an emerging market. We're an emerging uh, city, believe it or not, city of 10,000, so a pretty small city, but we're an emerging city. And we're able to sit back and say, as this town grows, as we see more popularity in our amazing wines, which are just ridiculous right now. I mean, our Pinot Noirs out here, our Chardonnays are bar none the best, I think, in California. Cabernet, Napa gives us a pretty good run for our money, but <laughs> the Chardonnays and Pinots I think are the best out here. But for us to be able to say, we're able to offer a different dining experience under one roof for different hours, different clientele, different desires. More importantly, back to your point, we're able to fully utilize one reservation system for three restaurants. We're able to utilize one infrastructure for three restaurants. We're able to utilize one general manager to oversee the whole property, but instead have different restaurant managers on each floor. But you're still able to hire a person, Marco Soto, who is amazingly smart and extremely successful in his own accord. But he understands the bigger picture. So we can cross-utilize his uh, mental capacity over three restaurants where a single restaurant couldn't afford Marco. Financially, doesn't make any sense. The financial burden is insane. is impossible. But to cross-utilize that with one person to have his capabilities and then to have people under him who are growing and learning this industry who can report to him, to us, we're creating something that we feel is different, unique, and we're disrupting the restaurant industry in a good way. I'm curious to know if through the pandemic, your definition of success has changed. For me personally, again, especially like once we got that Bib Gourmand in 2019, we were like, you know what? It doesn't matter whether we're making a ton of money to the bottom line or not. If we're doing great work and we're feeling fulfilled with the work we're doing, over time, this thing will continue to grow, if not exponentially, incrementally, and it will pay for itself either at scale or at some point in the future. I got to tell you, post pandemic, I don't know how into this thing I am if we're not making enough money for me to not just survive, but to thrive. 
especially considering all of the risks that we take on to ourselves to build this. So what is your definition of success today? And has it changed over the last 15 months? Wow. I mean, I think today our definition of success is much different. I think for us, pre-pandemic, we were more excited about Michelin, more excited about doing the dinner at James Beard House. I think post-pandemic, we're excited to make a pass today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Our bars got a lot lower, man. <laughs> like, all right, everyone made it through. No one died. No one had COVID and restaurant didn't close. All right, that's a good day. Yeah. Also off. Let's go. But I think, honestly, I feel that our definition has changed. We're not quite financially incentivized yet. We're still based off creating something that brings joy to people. And the thing that I realized came through the pandemic myself is we forgot what we, sometimes you don't know what you have until you don't have it. For us, we walked down the street and said hi to people two years ago, like it was normal, not thinking anything of it. Where a year ago, you couldn't walk down the street and say hi to people. You couldn't smile at somebody. I couldn't go hang out with my cousin. I couldn't hang out with my father. I mean, there was a period there that I literally could not go hang out with my father because he wasn't vaccinated. And I was afraid that I was going to, give them COVID. My kids, four and five-year-old kids couldn't hang out with their grandpa. That was a year ago. That was six months ago, honestly, maybe eight months ago now. And for us, people to sit back and say, what is our priority? What is important to us? Now, it's about coming together, family and friends. Our business is now about creating memories, creating joy, bringing joy back to people that probably really need that right now. So I think for us, our world has changed. I think our goals or measures of success has changed. I think now we're much more focused on creating a restaurant, creating an environment where people can enjoy themselves. People can smile. And I think we don't have enough smiling going on right now, but I think we're on the apex of getting a lot more happy people very soon. So you're about to go from one to two restaurants, or you could say from one to four, depending (laughs) on how we want to slice this thing up. When I opened my first restaurant, a buddy of mine goes, oh, so you just bought yourself a job. And then 24 months later, we opened the second concept. And he goes, you just invested in another job for yourself. Congratulations. And it's there's just a huge difference between one and two. Because with one, you can work on it and you can work in it. With two, it gets harder. It gets a lot harder to work on and in both simultaneously considering all of the needs. And so I'm curious to know. How is your role evolving as you begin to open this restaurant and how do you see it continuing to evolve? My role started really evolving probably about three years ago. We started our project just shy of three years ago and we started with the goal and ambition to know that what Vallette is now was never be sustainable. And the reason for that is we want to grow. We want to teach. We want my sous chef to have his own business. I am making my executive chef of the past six years of Vallette, I can make him a partner. And we can't do that. That pie is getting kind of small. We're trying to cut that pie up. And, you know, I can't go buy a new car. I can't go take my wife to a nice hotel right now because Follette, besides getting through the pandemic, is not financially feasible to produce enough revenue to sustain all of our employees and my upper management and myself. Do I want to start a new either second restaurant or fourth, as you like to say it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, probably not. I like to sleep. (laughs) I like to see my Uh kids more. But we also know that the key to our success is how do we take what we've done so far and how we 
continue that growth? How do we continue to let Nate Davis, my executive chef, grow? How do we go out there and work with Marco Soto, our general manager for the Matheson? How do we get out there and find these people who have really big brain heads on their shoulders? And how do we give them the growth opportunity? And I think to have the two locations for us gives us a lot more growth potential for our employees. It gives us a lot more diversity when it comes to our ability to buy 40 ribeyes or buy a whole cow instead of buying just a five pounds of filet. And I think for us, we're looking at this as a natural evolution that we have to create in order to be sustainable. I think the restaurant industry is definitely changing in its ability to be sustainable. And I think if we're able to find out how to cross utilize the energy of the two different entities, in this case, the Matheson, which does contain three different restaurants and filet, which contains just one, if we're able to cross utilize the energy that those are creating, I feel that that's going to be a more sustainable long-term and more viable future for all of the X factors that are going to be coming up. Because I think we're going to have a lot more things thrown at us in the future. California is hot. New York is hot. Washington is hot right now. Everywhere in the United States is kind of warming up a little bit due to climate change. And I think we're going to have a lot more variables thrown at us in the future. And to have the ability to have different entities that can utilize different we can uh, fill different needs. I think it's going to be very beneficial from a business standpoint. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Advice and words of encouragement. Yes. I think the COVID taught us something very important. It taught us to follow your dreams. The COVID taught us to really sit back and identify what you want to do with life and really focus on what you want and don't ever take no for an answer. I think in the restaurant industry, if you want to be successful, you got to have grit. You got to have a crazy vision. You got to have an idea that other people laugh at you and say you're crazy for wanting to do that. But you got to sit back and say, this is my goal. This is my dream. This is what I want. This is the mark I want to leave in history for the next generation to live by, the next generation to learn from, the next generation to be inspired by. I think for the other chef restauranteurs out there, it's hard, but if you wake up every morning and know that you can give it your best, you wake up every morning and know that you're doing something that brings you joy, brings other people joy, there's nothing better in the world than that. That's Chef Dustin Vallette. For more on The Matheson, go to thematheson.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.